And uh, for all the women who were part of the WOW conference, congratulations for a great, great, great conference and hope you guys were blessed and you thoroughly enjoyed that. In order for the men not to feel uh, left out today, I'm going to share a message called uh, A True Son, okay? <laughs> I'm just kidding, okay? But of course, the, uh, when I talk about a true son, it, it is uh, gender neutral. I intend to speak about true sons and true daughters as well. I want to begin by saying this, that the Apostle Paul had many spiritual children and he often wrote about them and mentioned uh, them by name in the letters that he wrote to the churches, right? I mean, we all recall familiar names like Demas, Silas, Onesimus, John, Mark, Dorcas, Aquila, and Priscilla, amongst many others. However, the, uh, Paul made very clear distinctions between the different uh, people that he named. Some of them were not just sons, but some he actually called them true sons. And there are two persons in particular in the New Testament that Paul addressed as true sons. And the first is, of course, Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. And the second is Titus in Titus chapter 1, verse 4. I think, in fact, it would be a very fascinating study if we were to go through the letters that Paul wrote and uh, pick out all the various names that he mentioned and how he would describe each of these persons. And I think that that would be absolutely fascinating. For example, he called Tychicus uh, a beloved brother, a, a faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord. He called Aristarchus a fellow prisoner. Apropos was a born servant. Gaius, a host. Quartus, a brother. Phoebe, a helper to many. Apennites, a first fruit, Mary, a co-laborer, Adronicus and Junior of note amongst the apostles, Apollos, approved in the Lord, Appius, my beloved in Christ, Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and various others, he could dress them as my fellow soldiers in Christ. Now, these statements, I want to suggest to you, are not just meant to give us an insight into the relationships that Paul had with these people, but by virtue of the fact that they are recorded in the Word of God, then there has to be a dip, deep, deeper implication for us than just merely a natural uh, um, uh, uh, interpretation. Now, what I believe is this, that these descriptions of relationship actually mimics heaven and it gives us in, an insight into he how heaven is going to be like. Imagine when you go to heaven, let me tell you this, you will not just only be known by your natural names. You know, when God, when you go to heaven, Pastor Elijah Chan is not just going to be known as Elijah, okay? But you know, when the Lord addresses us, when the Lord introduces us, I'm sure that there will be descriptions attached to us. Maybe it will be Elijah, my beloved, just as God called John the Revelator, his beloved because of their close, intimate relationship with one another. Perhaps the Lord may introduce us as this is my fellow soldier who warred and who battled with with me, you know, in the work of the ministry. Others, the Lord may say, hey, you are my fellow uh, 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 prisoner because you suffered for the gospel just as Jesus did. So these descriptions gives us an idea of how heaven shall be like. But for this weekend, I want to focus on the thought of just being true sons. And of course, this is gender neutral, as I mentioned earlier. And I, I believe the scriptures refer not just to sons, but also to daughters as well. And this, trust me, when we get to heaven, many of the great positions in heaven are going to be occupied by women and not by men. Hello? Amen? Can I tell you a bad joke? I'm quite sure when we go to heaven, we'll not just hit, sing hymns, we'll sing hers as well, right? I'm just kidding, okay. <laughs> 
But trust me, I really believe this. There are many indications in scriptures concerning the women that are there uh, and the work that women shall do uh, and the exploits that the women shall do for the kingdom of God. Amen. Now, the reason though that I want to focus on the subject of true sons and true daughters is because I believe this is an agenda that's really on the heart of the Father. I want to give you a couple of scriptures to show you why I believe this. The first is found in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. And it tells us a little bit about God's desire. And the Lord's desire is to bring many sons and daughters to glory and full maturity. And what this means is that these sons and these daughters will come to a place where they will carry the Father's glory and they'll be fully mature, displaying who the Father is. Romans chapter 8 verse 14 tells us that as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And the word sons doesn't just mean a child. It means a fully mature child of the Lord. Not a little child, but one who is fully mature. In verse 19 of the same chapter, it tells us that creation eagerly awaits the revealing of the sons of God. Think about this, the plant, the flora, the fauna, the, the animals, it's actually waiting for us to be revealed as true sons and true daughters. In Proverbs chapter 17 verse 6, it says this, the glory of the children are their fathers. And what this means is this, the father is seen through their uh, children, his sons, his daughters. Jesus, above all, was called a son, the son of God. And as many as have seen the son, they also have seen the father. And that's why the subject of fathers and sons is so important. Because this world desperately needs to see who God is. And God's not going to show Himself through, you know, the mountains and through the sunrise and the sunset. More than anything else, God wants to reveal Himself to people through you and I. But He has to reveal Himself through true sons and true daughters. And that's why this subject is important. Now, I want to look at the book of Titus because I believe this book, that is written to a true son, this letter gives us essential keys on working out this concept of what true sons and true daughters actually means. It gives us practical handles on what God actually wants us to work upon. Now, but before I launch into the book of Titus, I want to make a couple of clarifications, and I believe these clarifications are important. Without these clarifications, we can take the subject of spiritual fathers you know, and, uh, and spiritual sons and daughters to an extremity. And the church has done that before in the history of the church, right? I mean, the discipleship movement in the 60s and the 70s really became a very dilapidating uh, movement that caused a lot of damage to the body of Christ because they took this concept to an extreme. So I want to lay for us some clarifications. The first is this. When we talk about spiritual fathers, sons and daughters, there is a limited application in the natural. Now, it's easy for us to take this thought of spiritual fathers and sons and then apply it purely on a natural scale. And there is room for us to do it. There is a place for us to do it. Because Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, concerning the Corinthians, he said this, You have many instructors, but very few fathers. Now, there is definitely a place in our walk with God where we come to a status of becoming fathers in the Lord. But many times when the Bible talks about these fathers, the Bible is actually referring to a particular stage of our spiritual development rather than using the word fathers to describe an exclusive relationship that we have with people. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 12 to 14, we're actually told that the Christian walk can be divided into three stages of little children, of young men, men and our fathers. The little children are distinguished by the fact that they know that their sins are forgiven. 
right? And that's the first thing we learn as Christians. But then as we grow in the Lord, we become young men and young men are distinguished by several things. Number one, that they know the Word of God. And number two, that they've overcome the enemy. They are learning and they're overcoming the enemy in their lives. But then there is a stage where we become fathers and fathers, they know the Heavenly Father from the beginning. And this is the development, this is the spiritual progression that God wants to lead us to. Now, we need to understand that it is not as apparent, it is not as obvious in scriptures, whereby people enter into exclusive relationships where we become, you know, um, uh, spiritual fathers and children in an exclusive manner. Now, in fact, the Bible, in the Bible, Paul warns us against this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4, because that was what was happening in the Corinthian church. And the, uh, Paul actually calls this sectarianism. And in the Corinthian church, people were going around and saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter. And what they're actually saying is this, hey, Paul is my spiritual father. That's my, you know, uh, lineage. That's my pedigree, you know. And they're comparing spiritual fathers. Wow, my spiritual father better than your spiritual father, you know. And Paul says that's immature. There's nothing like that. Everybody belongs to Jesus and not to them. In fact, the Lord himself said in Matthew 23 verse 9, he says, Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. So we mustn't take this out of context. You see, I, you know, if you didn't realize this, Pastor has got something like 4,000 of her friends you know, on Facebook. And every week, he gets people writing to him out of the blue. People he's never met before, people who doesn't know him. And then they'll address him and say, Oh, you're my spiritual father, Papa Yang, you know? And you know what's the next text? Papa Yang, I need some money, you know? Can you help, you know? I think they, 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 they didn't, they didn't realise that Pastor Yang is a, a pastor of a church. They think that Pastor Yang runs a bank called F&M Bank, you know, Father and Mother Bank. That's what my kids believe as well. They think that uh, me and my wife, we actually run a bank, okay? And... Uh, but, but this, is, this is taking it out of context. This is going to an extreme where God didn't intend this to be. You know, in Mark chapter 10, verse 29 to 31, there's something fascinating. Jesus tells us that there are eight things in which we can give up for the kingdom of God and for the Lord. And if we give up any of these eight things, we will get back, not just in the, in the life that is to come, but in this present life, a hundredfold of eight other things. Now, the eight things that we give up and the eight things that we get back is slightly different. In fact, there are two things that we give up that we don't get back. And there are two things that we didn't give up that we would get back in return. Now, there are two things that are uh, dis distinctive in what we get back. One of them is persecution. I mean, what a great enticement to become a Christian, isn't it? What, what a great enticement to follow Jesus. Jesus says, if you really follow me and you live for me, you know, I'm going to reward you and I'm going to reward you with persecution. Amen. Praise the Lord. I was, I was expecting some cheers and claps from you guys. That's very enticing, isn't it? Of course, Jesus then goes on. Also, you uh, inherit eternal life, you know, in a life that is to come. But very interesting, there are two things that you give up that you don't get back. The Bible, Jesus doesn't mention that you'll get back. Now, for one thing, if you give up wife, you do not get a hundredfold back in wives. For all of us who have been married, let me tell you this, most of us who are married, okay? Um, one marriage is enough, amen. <laughs> and I don't mean that our marriages are bad, you know? I'm just saying that marriage is very intense, right? You know, and... Uh, <laughs> You know, of course, the, the, the biblical pattern and model is this. You know, one man, one woman entered into life. This is marriage. The two shall become one flesh. 
And therefore, to, to say that you get back many wives breaks the pattern and the biblical principle of marriage. And that's why Jesus excludes it. Right? What is also conspicuously missing is fathers. Think about this. You give up mother, you get back mothers. But you give up father, it doesn't mention that you get back fathers. And I believe this omission is deliberate. It is important. It is not a simple omission because there's not enough space in the Bible to, 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 to include it. But the reason is because of this omission is because God wants us to know once and for certain that if we give up fathers, that He will come and He will be our Father. Amen. He wants to reserve this exclusive position for Himself. He's jealous for this position. You see, I believe this. I believe God will send us mentors and spiritual fathers in our lives. But we must never build a sense of exclusivity in these relationships. God wants to be our father. He's jealous for this position. And most importantly, we must never use this concept of spiritual fathers and, and sons and daughters as a tool for manipulation and control over people. We must never use this concept to enslave people to serve ourselves or to get people to give up their free will in order to do what we feel they should do. Now, if a leader ever comes to you and says, hey, you know, you don't think, you don't have to decide. I tell you what to do. Please, if somebody ever says that to you, run away from them. That's manipulation. That's to take away the one thing that God exclusively gave to us as human beings, our freedom to choose. And no one spiritual should ever tell you to do that. Amen. And all too often when we talk about sons and daughters in the house, we use it as, as a means to get people to serve our own vision. Now that is not right. Let me tell you here unequivocally here in Cornerstone that we are here to serve the vision that God has placed in your heart. If God has put a burning vision and design in your heart, tell us and we will do what we can to resource you because I'm telling you that when the members of the church begins to fulfill God's vision on their lives, the church will fulfill its vision. Amen. This is the model of leadership that God has given to us in the Bible. It's a leadership that's rooted in servantship. And as pastors, it's our responsibility to model it for you more than anything else by us serving you. Amen? Now, the second uh, clarification I want to bring to us is this. When we talk about true sons, by virtue of talking about true sons, does that mean also then that there are four sons? Okay? And in our discourse about sonship, we need to first understand this, okay, that there is one Father, the Heavenly Father, and all of us belongs to Him. Now, in the parable of the wheat and the tares, we are told that there, are, there is a distinction. There are there's those people that are true, which is the wheat, and then there are those people who are false, which are the tares. This parable is not difficult to understand. And one of the keys about this parable that we need to grasp is this, okay, we, the, the parable essentially tells us this. You can't tell the difference between the wheat and the tares. The only person who can tell the difference is God Himself and His angels who will come and sift and separate out the wheats from the tares. In fact, this parable is explicit in telling us, please don't judge who is wheat and who is tares because only God knows. But the strange and funny thing about us as humans is that we like to do God's work for Him, Right? And we like to start labeling people. We look around at our brothers and our sisters in Christ. We say, ah, this one is a tailor, you know. Nothing will end up good with him. This one, wow, look at how they are dressed, how they carry themselves. Must be a wheat. The problem is we always judge by the external because we are unable to see what is happening in the hearts of people. And that's why God says, don't do that. Don't do that, right? 
But instead, what is important for us to realize is God sends relationships into our lives for a reason, okay? In fact, in, uh, there are some people who come into our lives specifically for a reason. And when that reason is fulfilled, God will take those people away from our lives. And our job is to see those people and wave bye-bye to them and say, okay, the reason is over. God bless you. Thanks for coming in to fulfill that reason that you have in my life. But there are other people that God sends into our lives and they are here for a season. And when the season is over again, we wave goodbye to them and we bless them along the way towards what they're called to do. They are not betraying us. They are not letting us down. They are not being disloyal. And, and, the re, and, and again, what we, do, what we do need to do is we need to understand that people belong to God, not to us. But when we start thinking people are betraying me, betraying, then we begin, to, we begin to think that those people actually belong to us, but they don't. They're not ours in the first place. Nonetheless, there are finally a third group of people, and these are people that God brings into our lives, and He joins us together forever. And forever, I mean forever, right into eternity. There's something you need to understand about heaven. When you go to heaven, your address in heaven, God is not going to plant you and plonk you in the midst of a hundred strangers in heaven that you've never ever met in your life, okay? That's not how we're going to be situated. When we go to heaven, we're going to be situated with people that we know, with people that have come to the same place of maturity as we are. You know, it's all, with all my heart, I believe that God has joined me and my wife together forever. Of course, in heaven, there's no marriage. There's no giving in marriage. But I believe our friendship and our relationship, I don't intend to live far away from my wife, you know? Maybe, you know, the only reason that we'd be far away because she's far more spiritual than I am. Maybe she'll be much closer to God than I am, you know? Kind of thing. But, you know, but I am determined, hey, let's work things out. You know, let's grow to really know each other because this is the beginning of a relationship for eternity. I believe God has put me with Pastor Young Forever, I hope he feels the same way, you know. Maybe he's listening to this today. He says, ooh, and a shiver just ran down the back of his spine, thinking, no, not eternity with lip, you know. I don't know, you know. But we'll work through it because there's some relationships that are meant for life. And the key thing is to understand what those relationships are for. Now, I want to turn our attention now to the book of Titus, okay? And give us a little background about, firstly, Titus and about this book. And I want to give you four things very, very quickly about what it means to be a true son and a true daughter. Now, the, the book of Titus is very short, just three chapters. It's a simple letter that is written by Paul to a man or one of his uh, true sons by the name of Titus. Titus was a Gentile. He's not Jewish. And he was a convert to Christianity. And he was brought to Christ by Paul, most likely. That is why Paul also calls him uh, a true son. Now, he accompanied Paul and Barnabas from Antioch all the way to Jerusalem. He was in the Jerusalem council. He also served in the church in Corinth. In fact, he was the one who hand-delivered the second letter to the Corinthians to the Corinth church. And he was the one who facilitated the gathering of the collection for the needy saints in Jerusalem. And that's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, Titus also served in several other capacities. He served as an apostolic overseer in the island of Crete. He was with Paul when Paul was in prison in Rome, so he served in uh, Rome as well. And finally, before Paul died, he sent Titus to evangelize Dalmatia, and this is found in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. And Dalmatia, of course, is uh, subsequently, in more modern times, became Yugoslavia, which today now is known as Serbia and Montenegro, and that was where Titus had served. Titus distinguished himself together with Timothy as true son to Paul, and through the letter that Paul wrote to Titus, we really can distill some important lessons about what it means to be a true son, true daughter. Now, before we launch into those four points, let me tell you that Titus 
the letter to Titus was written to Titus when he was serving in the island of Crete. And this is a letter that tells us the assignment that is being given to Titus. And it was an apostolic assignment. It was an assignment that could only be undertaken by a true son. And that's why the book of Titus is important in our understanding of what it means to be a true son and true daughter. No other person could have undertaken this task. You see, because it was an apostolic role that is required. The, the, the church that was in, in the island of Crete was in deep trouble. And they were in deep trouble because they were no different from the, 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 the people who were not in the church. The culture of the Cretans had infiltrated into the culture of the church such that when you look at the church in Crete, it's no different from those who do not believe in Christ. And that's why Paul sent Titus there with specific instructions to bring order to the church there and to bring order by changing the culture, by bringing the culture of the church in alignment to the culture of God's kingdom so that there would be a distinction between what they see in the church and what they saw in the world, okay? So that's the context of this book. Now, the first thing about a true son or a true daughter is that their lives must bear an evidence of grace. This is in Titus chapter 2, 11, all the way to Titus chapter 3, verse 7. You see, it begins with this, for the grace of God that, be that brings salvation has appeared to all men. This is the starting point of being a true son and true daughter. It is salvation. But you see, the work of salvation and the work of grace isn't just about praying a sinner's prayer. It has to be evidenced by a change in our lives. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying these Cretans, these who confess themselves to be, you know, uh, to be Christians, tell them that there must be a change in our lives. We must begin to live a life that rejects worldly lust and ungodliness. And it must translate into a very specific way of living. There's something that will distinguish us as Christians in the way we live our lives. For one thing, we are to be sober. We are to live righteously. We are to look towards the second coming of Jesus Christ with hope. We are not rebellious to natural authorities here on the earth. You know, and our words must become changed so that we don't keep talking evil about people. This is what Paul says, those who are, uh, whose lives are evidenced by grace, they are peaceful, they are gentle, they are humble. This is the work of regeneration, amen. This is what is supposed to happen when we become Christians. There must be an evident change. And if the evidence of change is not there, then we have taken the grace for granted. Something is amiss in our lives. Titus chapter 1 verse 16 tells us the opposite of, what, uh, of people who confess to be Christians but who don't have that life, okay? And it says this, they profess to know God. They say they know God, but in works, in what they do, in how they carry themselves, they deny God, being abominable, disobedient, disqualified for every good works. I want to ask us, there has to be a distinction in our lives once we become Christians. Amen? It must be day and night. There must be a difference. The second thing about a true son is that we learn to speak sound doctrine. Titus chapter 2 verse 1 to verse 10 gives us a list of things that Paul tells Titus that he's to teach the church about. And it's got to do with doctrine. But what is interesting is Paul considers sound doctrine that to have less to do with arguments, propositions, and positions than it has to do with behavior. Because when Paul begins to talk about doctrine, he doesn't talk about, you know, are you Armenian? Are you Calvinist? Are you five point, four and a half point? You know, he talks instead about our behavior. You see, sound doctrine is evidenced by sound 
living. It is not what you know. It is not what you speak. It is whether you walk the talk. That's what Paul is saying. And as true sons and true daughters, we better know how to distinguish between right and wrong. We need to understand God's ways. We need to know what God approves, what He disapproves. And we must live the, the talk that, that we profess. Amen. There must be that alignment of what we do and what we say. For it is not those who speak, who teach, who are justified, but those who do. Amen? Amen. The third thing about sons and daughters is this. They know how to shift culture and they literally shift culture. I gave an introduction about this book, uh, this letter to Titus, about how it was all about Titus's assignment to shift the culture. You see, the Cretan culture was a horrible culture. It was a culture of dishonesty, of laziness, of gluttony, people, you know, and it was a, a culture of great immorality. It was a culture whereby they love to talk a lot and do nothing about it. They love controversy and the latest controversy, they will talk and they will talk and they'll talk and they'll talk about it, but there is no real change in people's lives, okay? And they like to talk about useless things, okay? Um, I think that it's quite uh, similar to our modern-day culture many times, okay? That people like to troll, people like to talk a lot on social media, but there's no real action that people uh, really do. And what Paul was saying to the Titus is that, you see, you've got to shift culture. And shifting culture has got nothing to do with protest, with activism and shouting and demonstration. Instead, uh, you know, how we shift culture happens when we behave differently. It's when the church behaves differently. We speak differently. We value things in a different way. You know, our priorities are different. Our families are different. The way we talk to our spouses is with gentleness and love. Our relationship with our children are healthy. Now, I don't mean that our families have to be perfect for us to shift culture. But when people see us encounter problems, they'll also see a resilience in our lives. They'll see an endurance, a hope in us, you know, and a... Uh, uh, an optimism that is based on the hope in, that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen. We don't pursue the same things that the world pursue. We have great fidelity to our spouses. There's purity. You see, how can we shift culture when the divorce rate in the church is the same as the divorce rate in the world? How can we change culture when the young men in the church are as addicted to pornography as the young men that's in the world? How do we shift culture like that? And you see, if you are a true son and you're a true daughter and the seed of the kingdom is in you and you're manifesting the grace of regeneration in your life, you know, wherever you are, you're going to change culture. In your homes, in your community, in your workplaces, in your schools, you will shift culture because you will do things differently. You will be a distinction. You will be a distinctive from everybody else. Jesus said this, if you have seen, the you have seen me, you have seen the Father. I wonder if Jesus can say the same thing about us, that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. You have seen a slice of what the kingdom of God is like. Amen. The final thing about true sons and true daughters is that we unify instead of divide. And that's Titus chapter 3, verse 9 to 11. And I want to read this to you. Paul says, Avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. Reject a divisive man after once, twice, two admonitions, knowing that such a person is warped and, and, and sinning, being self condemned. You see, a true son unifies instead of causing division. It is very easy for us to be caught up with conspiracy theories. It is very easy for us to be contentious about doctrinal issues, to be legalistic, to look at the blood moon and say, oh, something's going to happen. Let me tell you this, bringing change in your life, overcoming sin is a lot harder than observing the blood moon. 
the blood moon comes and goes and your nature is still unchanged. So let's stop getting caught by these things. The Beatitude says this, blessed are the peacemakers, the unifiers, because they shall be called the sons of God, the daughters of God. Bible is consistent about this. There is notice that there is no beatitude that causes us to be loud, abrasive, or divisive. You see, church, we are in the midst of controversy here, and I'm sick and tired of it. We need to stop making a fuss over this vaccination thing. Amen? And for those of us who are hearing online, hear this, here in Cornerstone, we don't tag you vaccinated, unvaccinated. When we look at you, you're all covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what we see. That's what heaven sees. You know? Should, you know, if you want to get vaccinated, go get vaccinated because the data is there. It does protect you. It does protect others. But is there long-term data? No, this is new technology. So allow the conviction of the Holy Spirit to speak to you. You have to be responsible for your own actions. But we got to stop dividing over this. You know, people are writing to Pastor and saying that he's capitulated to the devil. That's it. Stop it. Stop. There's a world dying out there that needs a testimony of the gospel and we are fussing over vaccination. Come on! Wake up! It's time for us to stop being divisive and start knowing what is our assignment and what is it that we need to focus on. Let's all stand to our feet, shall we? I want to pray for all of us as well as those of us who are at home. And I want to ask you to open your hearts, Lord. Because God is looking for true sons, for true daughters. It is the sons, the daughters, the mature, the ones who have come to glory. They are the ones that will make a difference. And I don't know about you, I want to make a difference. I want people to look at my life and say, hey, you know, I might not be a Christian, I might not believe what you believe in, but I see a difference and this distinction in your life. I see that your life isn't perfect, but I see hope in you. I see a resilience, I see joy. You talk differently. You value things differently. Amen. There is something different. There is something attractive that I cannot put my fingers on, that I cannot describe. You see, because there is a Father who wants to be known by His creation and He has chosen one way to make Himself known and that is through His own sons and His own daughters who have come to full maturity. And man, it's time for us to grow up. Man, God is waiting for us to grow up and to become those sons and those daughters, the true sons, the true daughters who have fully come to maturity. I want to ask and invite you to open your hearts to the Holy Spirit this weekend. Father, we come to you, Lord. We ask you, Lord, to touch our hearts, to speak to us, to direct us, oh God. Father, we, we, we don't need polite messages, oh God. Father, we don't need some coddling on our backs, oh God. But we need to hear the truth, oh Lord. Father, may you help us hear, help us understand and help us adjust, oh God. Father, because the world is in desperate need of a testimony, of a witness of the risen Christ, His power and His reality. The world, all creation awaits the revealing of the sons and the daughters of God. And here we are caught up in all the small things that don't matter, Lord. Father, help us to wake up, Lord. And Lord, we thank you, O oh God, that you have adopted us, that we were once strangers, but you called us, you draw us near, Lord. And you adopted us into your family through which you put us, put the Spirit of God within us, by which we cry, Abba, Father. You are our Father, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. We call you our Father, O oh Lord. 
May you help us understand. May you help us draw nigh. May you help us know that if there is any valley in our lives, if there is any lack, if our earthly fathers have never given to us what we need, Lord, we ask you today, fill those valleys that are in our lives so that we may be whole, complete, and ready to manifest the Heavenly Father to the world, O God. Father, we bless you, Lord. And I stand with my brothers and my sisters. I now speak your blessings over every one of them. The blessings of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you and abide with you now and forevermore. And everybody say, Amen, Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a clap offering, shall we? You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.